0: We are starting a new series today. Yes, uh, I think we have. Do we have? Do we have the graphic by any chance? We do. Is it up there? Awesome. We are starting a series in Proverbs, which I am really, really, really excited about. Uh, this is. I've been studying Proverbs over the last six months in preparation for this. Really, uh, just feeling that the Lord was leading us into this series after finishing James. We'll talk about the connection in a little while. Uh, and today is really going to be our introduction to the book. It's a really important, as we get to walk into this book and learn about this book, to understand a lot of the key points that we're going to go over today. Not only the authors, but what its goal, what its aim is. What are the kind of things that we are going to learn from it? Uh, The thing is, is Proverbs is one of the most amazing books in the Bible for practical and godly wisdom. One author that I was reading put it this way about Proverbs. He says, Proverbs is a book which rarely takes you to church. It calls across to you in the street about some everyday matter or points things out at home. Who is ready to have things pointed out at home? (laughs) It is going to be fun. (laughs) I love it. You know, the the Proverbs is a very practical, gets in the nitty gritty of life. Now, the reason why we uh, chose this graphic is in Proverbs chapter 24, 14, it says this. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you. Your hope will not be cut off. So this is where our inspiration for the graphic comes in, and every week we're going to see this graphic, and when you look at it, I want us to be reminded of the sweetness of wisdom and that Proverbs has to offer for us as we go through this series. Sometimes it's going to sting, but we have to remember, even if it stings, some of the things that we are going to be talking about in Proverbs, this is good for us. You know, sometimes good medicine tastes awful at first, but it fixes you up. I know one of those things. My parents are health freaks, uh, and I remember when wheatgrass was introduced to the home. Anybody ever have wheatgrass? It is disgusting. It's not even an acquired taste, something like coffee or things like that. It is something that after drinking it for 10 years every day, you will still hate it every morning. Thankfully... That is not Proverbs. Proverbs is the honey is that it may sting at first, but it is sweet. It will feel good. Wheatgrass is one of those things that, my Lord, I I wish. it It did good things for the inside, and that's what you would have to tell yourself as you held your nose and took a shot of it in the morning. So, but Proverbs is going to be hurting our pride in a lot of ways. It may cause us to react in certain ways and say, no, that's not me, or you don't know my situation. A lot of times when people hear a preacher preach, uh, and I'm guilty of this all the time, is we like to think of other people. And we're like, wow, I wish that person was here to hear this sermon Right? No one's ever been guilty of that, right? <laughs> while, while the preacher is preaching, you think, man, I wish this person was here for that. Well, I want us to kind of get that out of the way now and realize that this is going to be good for me. Don't turn to your neighbor today. Turn to yourself and say, this is going to be good for me. This is going to be medicine that all of us will be needing as we really dive into this book. But what's going to happen is the fool that lives in each of us is going to constantly try to reject the wise decisions and the wise living that Proverbs is going to be offering us. But my hope is that we will see the beauty that resides in God's wisdom as we go through this series You know, there is always going to be part of us, you know, it it is called different things in different parts of the Bible and Proverbs, that part of us is referred to as the fool or the simpleton in the New Testament many times, it is uh, referred to as the flesh, uh, as the, the human desires, some of us know it as original sin, these things that rise up in us that cause us to live in ungodly ways and many times when we are confronted with these ungodly ways when we are confronted with these things in our life we tend to reject we walk away we say no not me this this is for that person this is for this person but really what i want us to as i said is to be confronted with ourselves in this because as we look at the very practical things in life there will be many ways that we can easily pass the buck And say, well, you don't know where I have come from. You don't know the life that I have lived. You don't know the childhood that I've had. And well, that may all be true. I don't know where every single person, the the life you live, I don't know the things that you have gone through. I don't know, you know, the extent of the things that have happened in your childhood. But many times we use these things that have happened to us or we use these things as excuses in order to continue to live the way that we feel most comfortable which many times is living in ungodliness. Why are you mean today? Well, I am mean because in my childhood or in school, people have been mean to me years, or I had very mean parents. Well, guess what? God wants to liberate you through this series from the things that has given you an excuse to act these ways. So he will liberate you from mean parents if that is why you have been mean We want to say, God, this is the way you call us to live. It may be hard to get there. It may be hard to attain that. But thanks be to God that you have given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live godly, fruitful lives. And whatever it is that has in nature or nurture formed us this way, that we can now go to God and allow him to form us into new ways. According to Proverbs 24, 14, finding wisdom secures our future and gives us hope. What that does is it aligns our decision-making with God. When we need to make decisions, a lot of times I, I hear this often, uh, You know, it's the, it's the Christian response to, I don't want to give you a yes or no answer right now. And it's when you ask a Christian something, you say, let me go pray about that right? Anybody ever hear that before? Now, I am all for going and praying about that. Um, there's usually a, a, a good window of if God isn't answering you and praying about a decision for like two or three years, and I think there's something wrong with that. But what what wisdom does and what God does is it aligns our decision-making with God such a way that I realize that, God, the, you are leading me your ways. The more I am close with you, the more I get to know you, the more I understand you, the more naturally, it's kind of like muscle memory, I will begin to make decisions that are aligned with you. This is what Proverbs is going to help us do. It helps us stop making bad choices. You ever find yourself, I was going to start off, if you ever know somebody, but let's, let's keep this thinking about ourselves, You ever find yourself constantly going back to the same bad decision over and over and over again? Proverbs says we are like a dog that returns to its vomit. Right? Gross. But you ever find yourself going back to bad decisions Ladies, is there ever a man in your life that is a bad decision that you found yourself going back to time and time again and wonder, why am I here with this moron again? I told myself that I would not be here again, yet here I am, right? Has there ever been a time where you knew this was bad for you, and yet you find, yeah, there we go. We see some hands going up. I like it. <laughs> All the ladies in the room are raising their hand right now. Yes, God will liberate you from making bad decisions. We will be able to say, all right, this is not wise. How do I walk away from this habit? How do I walk away from this person that has led me to destruction? And don't worry, Proverbs has a lot to say, man, about the women and their honey-filled lips and enticing looks that lead you down to Sheol, which is hell, (laughs) <laughs> what will happen is wisdom it keeps us grounded and what really matters you know a lot of people they want to play the short game in life you know i and i want to make a decision about this because it's going to help me today. But will it help me in the long run? Addiction is one of the main things that we see this in. How do I get that quick high, that quick feeling, whether it is drugs, whether it's entertainment, whether it's sex, whatever those things are in our life that feel good for a moment but over the long run destroy our lives. Wisdom keeps us grounded in what really matters. Is this job? Is this relationship? Is this thing in my life? Is this helpful for me? Is this what really matters? Is this what I really, in 20, 30 years, want to have on the resume of my life, on the tombstone? Do I want this etched in? But what's incredible about wisdom is the future hope is it has great reward at its end. It has great reward at its end. When you follow God and his ways, there are are riches that we cannot imagine here on earth that await for us in eternity. But our, So our prayer throughout this entire series is actually going to come from James. Uh, and for those of you that traveled with us through James, you may remember this from the very beginning of, chain, from, of James. It says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, to all without reproach and it will be given him what does that mean so if if we are going through this and we find ourselves like that dog constantly returning back to its vomit when we go and ask God God I want your wisdom help me not make this bad decision again I want your wisdom what does it say you if you go and ask God he will give to you wisdom generously without reproach that means a pow pau will not be waiting for you when you go to God and you ask him for wisdom. He will be there ready to give to you generously. And so that's going to be our prayer throughout this entire series. God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom because we know we pray to a God who will not only answer our prayer for wisdom, but he will answer it generously. He will give a lot to us, And what I love about what we learned in James that I really feel like is going to connect well with this series is James talks a lot about walking in godly wisdom. And really what James, when you understand what he's talking about, about walking in wisdom, you understand that he's talking about living in the fruit of the spirit, which is what it's referred to uh, elsewhere in scripture by Paul. So when James talks about living and having the wisdom of God and living in a wise and godly manner, he's really talking about what many Christians now today refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. If you trekked with us through James, that's pretty much all James is talking about. How are we living with one another as a church church? Or how are we supposed to be? Because James was speaking to a hypocritical church. So he says, this is how you're supposed to be living with one another, in patience, in love. This is how you're supposed to be, all these things. This is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of living in God's ways. And so when we are thinking through the wisdom of God, we are going to be thinking about how do I walk out the fruit of the Spirit? How do I walk out these things that... A lot of times seem theoretical. You know, we hear these platitudes in life, you know, love your enemies. And we all know that Jesus said that. But what does it actually mean? In the practical sense, when your neighbor's dog doesn't stop barking really loud at one in the morning and you are trying to go to sleep. What does it mean at that moment to love your enemy? You know, what does it mean to have the fruit of the spirit, to have patience to have self-control, whereas like in that situation, naturally, what I want to do is like I'm dreaming of BB guns and like what I could get away with without going to jail and fart bombs and like, how you know, what can I get that's really loud, you know, to annoy them, right? This is the fleshly, this is the fool in me speaking, but what is, what is the godly response to a situation like that? What we'll learn is we cannot claim wisdom and annoy our neighbor. They don't go hand in hand. We cannot claim wisdom and not show restraint in life. It is not possible to claim the wisdom of God and live a life of indulgence. We cannot claim wisdom and not have patience. See, a lot of times, wisdom, we, we think, leave it to the philosophers for wisdom, Leave it to the people that write books. Leave it to the experts on TV. That is wisdom. But no, the wisdom of the Bible is a practical living out every day of godliness through patience, through kindness, through goodness, through self-control. That, we will learn, is true wisdom. The wise person is not someone who can theorize about topics for hours on end. The wise person is the person that gets cut off on the highway by a crazy driver and it doesn't try to speed up and cut them off to get them back. Right? Wisdom is a lot more practical than many times we've allowed it to be in our life. God's fruit and wise living are synonymous in Scripture. So Proverbs itself, it introduces itself this way. We see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 to 6, it says this, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance, understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise, and their riddles. So this is the author's intro of Proverbs. This is what Proverbs wants to get us to understand, all these different things. And what this introduction claims is really important. Uh, this is not an anthology. An anthology is just a collection of random sayings, right? This is not a bunch of fortune cookie sayings that after you know you get 100 of them, you paste them on your wall, and like all of a sudden you have your own Proverbs. This is not what Proverbs is. Proverbs is an education. Proverbs wants to take you to school to learn about the life of wisdom. What we will do in this education that Proverbs is offering to us is we're going to look at the various topics that Proverbs talks a lot about. So what we aren't going to do, which is a little bit different for us, is we're not going to go through Proverbs verse by verse. Some of you are thinking like, oh my God, are we going through Proverbs verse by verse? We are not. We are going to look at the different topics of Proverbs. So, We're going to look at the topic of God and man. We're going to look at the fool. We're going to look at being a good neighbor. What does money management look like? What is family and speech, life and death? These are a lot of topics that Proverbs covers that we are going to look at and gain wisdom from throughout this series. We will learn about what it is like to live with somebody. To manage your personal time, your finances, your commitments. These are the topics, the very practical things that Proverbs talks about. How do you evaluate good work in your life? What is character that can be changed, that can be molded by God? And what is personality, the way God created us? These are great questions that Proverbs will wrestle with and help us answer in our lives. One thing that's interesting though about this book is its authorship. Whereas most books in the Bible you really have a singular author. This one person wrote this book, right? When we read James, James had one author, James. It was simple. Proverbs is not like that. Proverbs has a lot of authors. In fact, we actually don't know many how we don't actually know how many authors contributed to the book of Proverbs, which I think makes it pretty interesting. The largest contributor to the book of Proverbs, though, is Solomon. And so most people only know him as the only author. And so, but because he's the largest contributor and we know a lot about him, we're going to spend some time looking at his life today to get to know who is the guy that collected and wrote a lot of the Proverbs that we're going to be reading. But some of the other contributors were, there are unnamed wise men. So there are some portions that just say uh, the wise, this came from the wise men. And it's like, okay, we don't know how many of them. We don't know really where, where they were from, but we know it's from the wise men. Uh, and some are actually, this is cool, are foreigners. These are non-Israelites contributed to some of Proverbs. We have Agur and King Lemuel, or Lemuel. I couldn't figure out how to pronounce his name. I was on Google this morning on pronunciations, and Heather's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce this old Hebrew name, and I can't figure it out. Still can't figure it out. But a king, some king that is not from Israel, also helped contributed. Um, But as I said, I want to spend some time on Solomon because he is the main author. And so first, uh, it's important for us to understand who is Solomon. Uh, Solomon is the son of David. David is one of the most well-known characters in the story of the Old Testament uh, because Jesus has the name that is referred to sometimes as the son of David. David was the one that was promised an everlasting kingdom that would always have a king sit on the throne that would come from his lineage. And as you read the lineage of Jesus, you realize that he came from the line of David. And so God was answering his promise to David through Jesus by putting an everlasting king on the throne whose kingdom would never pass away. Solomon was the third king of Israel. So you had three kings that. Um, And Solomon was the third. You had Saul. Then after Saul, you had David. They were not related. And then uh, David had Solomon, uh, one of his many children. David had a lot of kids. Uh, He had a lot of wives. That was a privilege of the kings back then. Um, But Solomon actually was the child of Bathsheba. And if you know a little bit about church... Uh, about Israelite history, then you realize Bathsheba has an interesting story, and I love stories like this because it just shows the redemption of God and how He redeems stories. And so David, his army was out to war one day, uh, and he was supposed to go with them, but instead, you know, he is chilling and lounging in the kingdom. He goes out, uh, you know, on his balcony looking over his kingdom, and then there he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And he's like, oh, beautiful woman taking a bath. you know, And he lingers a little bit longer than he should, and he realizes, you know what? I think I want that woman. And so Bathsheba, he calls her uh, into his office in the kingdom, and they do some stuff. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Uh, not a good situation because she's married. And so David now needs to get rid of her husband and... Uh, or makes to, think about this. this is David, the one who's called friend of God. He needs to make sure the husband, you know, some of y'all want some drama and you're, you're watching like E or you're, or you're reading TMZ. Y'all never read the Old Testament before. So David realizes what he did wrong and so he calls Uriah back from war, who is away at war. And he goes, Uriah, you know, we called you back. And his hope was that Uriah would go and sleep with his wife and then he wouldn't know that Bathsheba was pregnant from him. There was a little mix-up, right? But Uriah, a righteous guy, sits at his doorstep all night and says, I will not go and sleep with my wife while my comrades are in war and are unable to. And David's like, oh, didn't expect that one coming. (laughs) Right, who, come on, what's going on here? And so David Says, fine, you know, he keeps on trying to convince him to with his wife. He won't do it. So he goes, all right, now I need to kill this guy. So he puts him in the front lines to make sure that he gets killed in war. And so after this happens, David marries, marries Bathsheba. Um, and then her second son is Solomon that David and her have together. And out of this line is the line of Jesus, which is just mind-blowing uh, to me. And so this period of time in the history of Israel, we see Moses leads the Egyptians out of Egypt. They circle around for 40 years in the wilderness for being disobedient. And then Joshua takes leadership. They go into the promised land. They conquer a ton of it. And then they stop following God, and the judges come into play. And there's 12 judges. And then after that, Israel says, we want a king. So God gives them Saul, and then God gives them David, and then after David... Is Solomon. And Solomon has an interesting story because we're gonna read some of that in 1 Kings 3 3. There's a reason why Solomon was so wise. It says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. So God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says, ask whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. So Solomon says a lot of stuff. And then he gets to his answer in verse 9, and we read in verse 9, Solomon says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind or wisdom to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able, able to govern this, your great people? So after this, God is kind of like, great, this is an amazing answer. I love it. And so not only does God say, I am going to give you wisdom, but because you did not ask for what usually men will ask for if they were ever posed this question, usually people will say, give me wealth or give me honor or power, or, glory. These are the things that men want. When posed this question, but you did not ask for that. You asked for wisdom. So because you did not ask for these other things, not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you all the things that men treasure. I will give you wealth, and I will give you honor. I will give you glory. And so Solomon gets the wisdom of God, and in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 to 34, we read some of just how wise he was. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breath of mind like the sand of the seashore. Sorry, I lost my place for a second. So that Solomon's wisdom would surpass the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, Wiser than Ethan, the Ezraites, and Heman, and Kalkul, and Darba, the sons of Mahal. Right? We know he's wiser because I never heard of any of these other people before, but I've heard of Solomon. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, not 1,006, 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, Lebanese, I got a little bit in me, to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all kings of all the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, people start coming from far and wide. I remember my dad read this story to me when I was a kid, and he explained how it worked out. And so as a child, I started calculating, I need to change my prayers. I need to change what I ask God for. And so instead of asking God for what normal things kids ask God for, I began to pray as a young 10-year-old for wisdom every single night. Because I figured, God, if if you gave me one thing I would ask for wisdom, knowing in the back of my head that maybe wealth and power would follow with that. (laughs) Ten-year-olds are not dumb. Train your kids. Teach them about the Bible. And as a kid, I began to pray for wisdom because of this, because I thought maybe one day I will be very wealthy and very powerful if I just continually try to trick God into thinking all I really want is wisdom, but, you know, I find that it is pretty common misunderstanding what Proverbs, that a lot of people uh, misconstrue Proverbs to just be a book about how to have material success in life. You know, how do I make more money? How do I have success? As if this is the main purpose of the book. Do these things and you will make money prosperity is actually not the main aim of the book. And with a cursory reading of the book, if you just read it on an overview, it's actually very easy for you to misinterpret and misunderstand and think this is the main function, this is the main point of the book. What is right, what is holy, what is good and what pays, what makes you money, a lot of times they will travel together and they will travel a long distance together. Doing the right thing many times will help you be successful. Being trustworthy, being a hard worker, honest, a loyal friend. These are roads that lead together if we're looking at what pays and what is right. They go together a lot of times. But what happens when making more money and being godly depart? What happens when making money goes this way does being godly, does Proverbs go this way with it? And the answer is a resounding no. In Proverbs, chapter 20, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 23, it says the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. When doing the wrong thing brings more money, there can be no doubt where Proverbs calls the reader to go. The main goal of this book is not prosperity. It is knowing God. Only if you know him can you fear him. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. This is the motto of the book. We see it in Proverbs chapter 2. And then we see this throughout the entire book. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. See, the question that Proverbs will make you continually ask over and over and over again is this question. Is this wisdom or folly? Is this wisdom or folly? Does this get me closer to knowing God and walking out his fruit in life? Or does it lead me towards destruction? Every single day, In most of our decisions, we are posed with that question, is this wisdom or folly? Will this lead me towards God, towards knowing him and to walking out his fruit, or will this lead me towards destruction? We are posed that question every morning before you drink your coffee, you are posed with the question, will I be mean to my spouse right now? Or will I run to get that cup of coffee? Right, We are asked that question as we travel on the train to work. Is this wisdom or folly? Should I run to the seat and elbow everybody out of my way and sit down and then pull out a book like I never saw anybody who was trying to get to that seat besides me? If you do that, I'm praying for you. I I need to pray to love you, my neighbor. (laughs) Right? We are posed every single day with this question and most of our actions. Is this Christ-like or is it not? And a lot of times, as Christians, what we do is we like to leave those questions for theory, and we don't like to bring it into our practical life, because when we bring it into our practical life, that means that I cannot go without a conscious understanding of what I'm doing anymore, and a lot of times we don't like that. We like to live in ignorance of what we're doing so that we can continue to live comfortably in sin, but a lot of what we are going to be doing is opening the veil of our eyes of how much God cares about what we do every single day. God cares how you act towards your next door neighbor. God cares how you act towards your friend. God cares how you work At work, God cares how you spend your rest and your weekend. God cares what type of mother or father you are, what type of child you are. God cares what type of son or daughter you are. God cares what type of single person you are. God cares what type of commuter you are, what type of citizen you are. God cares about all of these things. And he has left us a book to talk about them. And so... How we're going to end today is we're going to end with that prayer that I talked about that we started with, which is that prayer of God, give me wisdom. Because as we go through this book, a lot of times what is easy is we can begin to condemn ourselves. Well, this is just how I acted. I'm never going to change or I'm really bad for acting this way. But what we can do today is we can go to God and ask for wisdom without reproach. And what will God do is he will give generously. And as we go over every single topic that we are going to go over, that Proverbs has to offer for us, what we can say is, God, I want to live like you have called me to live. Today I ask in faith and without doubt, give me your wisdom. And God will be faithful to respond every single time. Here, This is how you can live in godliness. This is how you can live in my ways that are above your ways. This is how you can make decisions that will give you peace and joy in your life and how to turn away from the things that will lead to destruction. Can you stand with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for your wisdom. Lord, I thank you for your fruit and how it is cultivated in our hearts as we grow closer to you. Lord, that your call in Proverbs is to know the covenant God of Israel. Lord, that as we get to know you, God, we learn to understand you And we begin to walk in your ways, in the wise ways of life. Lord, I pray that our church would be a church that seeks you above all else. And that we would see that play out in our everyday attitudes, our everyday reactions, our everyday interactions with our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers. And Holy Spirit, that we would allow you to come into our hearts, to renew our minds, and to transform the way that we live. We believe that you will do it, and we pray for wisdom today as we close. In Jesus' name.